Hey, gentlemen, how are you? You have to have a lot of uh, lung power to do that. Yeah, you have. Gene, you, you can get different sounds out of it, too, huh? Uh, yeah, yeah, you can be able to blow pretty strong. Who is the head man of the group here, gentlemen? Well, we're all heads. All right, well, a band look. called Rocky and the 13th Floor Elevators. <laughs> Another episode of That Record Got Me High. I am your host, Rob Elba. It's great to have you guys here. Uh, real quick, before I say anything else, uh, I want to welcome a brand new patron to the show, Daniel Little. Uh, Daniel just became a patron of the show, and uh, we'd like to welcome you, Daniel. And don't forget, if you want to become a patron, just go to patreon.com forward slash TRGMH. You can become a patron of the show, like our new friend, Daniel Little. All right, we got that out of the way. I got a great guest, someone, I, once again, someone I don't know personally, but I'm going to get to know right now during the episode, just like all of you are going to get to know him. But uh, just in reading a little about him, he's an interesting cat. And I didn't realize that till just recently, Paul, that you are, oh, okay, this guy's actually... Uh... <laughs> Actually, a guy that has some some uh, <laughs> some cred and some backstory and stuff. So you might know him as the singer for the for the 1980 Indianapolis hardcore band the Zero Boys. But he's now he's now like a renowned, sought after record producer and uh, mixing and mastering engineer that has worked with a ton of artists that you all know and that you've heard of. Uh, let's welcome to the show, Mr. Paul Mahern. Well. That's interesting, Rob. First of all, thanks for introducing I me. Asked you that first. Yeah, no, it either way works. Uh, we've always in this country, we've always called ourselves Mayhern. Mayhern, okay. But my sister, my sister went to Ireland a few years back, and she was in like the old, in the old county, and she said to somebody, "My name's Kate Mayhern," and they were like, "You mean Mahern?" Mahern, yeah, of course. So, so you, you, you got it right. You had just had the old world pronunciation. No, that's me, because I'm old and I do old world. So, okay. Oh, Mayhern, Paul, Mayhern, Mahern. Uh, yeah, welcome to the show, Paul. Uh, so yeah, so you are. I don't. You know, a lot of people. I know you have your own um, mastering uh, a company, and and uh, mastering is a big part of what you do now. Just explain real quick, because a, a lot of people don't realize what mastering is and that how important it is to records and everything. So explain that real quick. Yeah. Okay. Well, so I started out as a producer and a recording engineer, and then a mixer. And uh, didn't do mastering very seriously till about 10 years ago. Um, basically, what mastering does is every time you're mixing, you're mix mixing in a certain environment. Um, your mixes are colored by what you're hearing in that particular environment. If you can send your mixes off to somebody else who's got good ears and got good equipment, they're now listening in a different environment. They might do some equalization, some compression. The idea is to make it sound good in all environments. And then if it's, a, if it's a collection of songs, to make the songs all sound like they belong together. Because when you're mixing the songs individually, you're concentrating on one song at a time. The mastering engineer is like, 
kind of like um, envision color correction in maybe like a movie where they're trying to make each scene kind of look like it was shot by the same people. Yeah. Same sort of thing. Yeah. So it's actually, it's really important. And when you listen to the, the great record and it just sounds like such a great piece, like one great piece into it, that's uh, a, a lot of that goes to the mastering engineer, which sort of did the final, uh, the final touches on it and brought it all together, like you said, as, as one, as a whole piece. So that's yeah, important. that's it. Yeah, yeah, there you go. All right, so surprisingly, he didn't, Paul didn't pick a Steely Dan record, like maybe you think. Uh, God. <laughs> um, so what is the album that you brought to talk about, Paul? Okay, the album that I brought to talk about, it's one of my favorite records of all time, top three, Easter Everywhere by the 13th Floor Elevators. Yeah. All right. So yes. the first thing I got to ask you, Paul, is how does one, how does, how does a 13th floor elevators and Easter Every, Everywhere become your favorite, <laughs> one of your favorite albums? Like, how does that happen? Yeah. So, oh, and, you know, I grow up, uh, I've got older brothers and sisters. I'm listening to, like, you know, kind of popular 60s stuff, Beatles, Stones, the kind of stuff that the teenagers were listening to. Um, and then, you know, um, mid-70s I started to get really into punk rock and uh, I just became obsessed with punk rock formed bands put out my own records um, and then like punk rock and American hardcore started to lose its luster for me you know probably 1983-84 and I was just kind of you know opening my mind up to like different Sounds, different things that I hadn't heard. My wife at the time owned a vintage clothing store in Indianapolis, and uh, a guy came in one day uh, with three records that he was trying to sell that he had bought, like at a flea market. And it was the first Pink Floyd record. first chocolate watch band record and this record Easter Everywhere by the 13th Floor Elevators and it just blew the doors open all three of these records but this one in particular blew the doors open on like psychedelic music right right and uh, and and then also the energy of all three of those records is very punk so it oh, wasn't yeah. like this oh, yeah, kind of is. meandering, long guitar solo, psychedelic music. It wasn't kind of too folky like the Grateful Dead. It was like real energetic, real aggressive, and also mind-expanding. Yeah, right. So that was it was my gateway, and it was just, it was fate. Uh, I think I paid like $20 a piece, which was a lot at the time for these records, but they were all three original pressings, and of oh, okay. course I still so have now, them. So now, if you still have them, they're worth uh, lots more than that. <laughs> it doesn't matter what they're worth. <laughs> no, I know. It doesn't matter. I mean, right? Of course not. Of course uh -huh. not. So 19, this came out in 1967. This was their That's right. second album, right? So October 25th, 1967. So uh, I'll give a little bit of a backstory, because of course, once I fell in love with this record, I fall in love with the band, and I right, got to have right. all 
all right. the stuff that they've ever done. So they're a Texas band, and uh, their first album that they put out was called The Psychedelic Sounds of the 13th Floor Elevators. And, uh, you know, coincidentally, they kind of termed, they, they coined the term psychedelic rock. Tommy Hall, the jug player. Anyway, they put out this album. They have this single, You're Gonna Miss Me, that probably most people have heard. It's appeared on many, many compilations. Screaming, garage rock, yeah. amazing vocals. single out they put this album out they go out on tour they spend a lot of time in california um kind of in the early hate ashbury scene period and they kind of they influence a lot of those bands they're playing at a lot of the same venues with those bands and they're eating lsd every day right i mean literally two or three times a day they're dosing um and and having this road experience um, and I don't know if you've done much time as a touring musician, but it's difficult enough, it is, you yeah. know, you know, as a touring musician to also be like rolling on LSD the entire time. Oh no, it's yeah. I was, I was just going to say it's difficult just existing and getting from venue to venue without killing each other and killing yourself. <laughs> That's right. So they're real. They're real psychedelic warriors. In in a lot of ways, they don't consider themselves to be druggies. You know, they use they use cannabis. It's all very spiritual to them, right? That's right. It's totally spiritual. They are on the front end of enough of the LSD youth movement. They have no idea what happens to somebody when you take LSD every day. Yeah, exactly. And it's an experiment to them. So they go out there. They come back to Texas. Um, they want to do an East Coast tour, but their label can't really get it together, so... Instead, the label says, look, we want you to, to record your second album. Um, and that label was International Artists. It's a local Houston, Texas-based record label. They just didn't have any real distribution power. They didn't have any real connections. So, you know, that first album, which is an amazing album, kind of stalls out. It's a regional hit. They're very big in Texas. They can play there, but they can't get outside of Texas. So. Yeah, I, I, it, that's true. Listening, especially listening to this one too, I, I'm surprised they didn't break out more and just become more of a bigger band because I could see it because you know uh, the uh, the songs, so many of the songs are just so really good and really catchy, and the and the delivery of it is so great that it, it's crazy to me that it didn't. It kind of became like more of a cult thing and more of a cult band. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I think that this band could have been every bit as big as the Stones, at least the Stones in the '60s, late. 60s. 60s you know they they have that sort of similar appeal yeah that's what and and also i was going to ask you did you keep up i'm sure you kept up with rocky erickson after the fact his career and and uh you're a fan i'm assuming you're a fan of oh yes of, his solo. of course all right but one thing i discovered in, in like doing my homework on this because i didn't really know much about 13 floor elevators except that that was his rocky's first band is that they were really 
a band and that the other it, it's not just him like the other guys uh had a lot to do with the band and everything and especially that uh a tommy hall guy absolutely right absolutely. was a big part of the band and a co-writer of most of the songs and a jug i just gotta ask you this paul before anything else a jug player is there any other band that has like a jug player as a major member that's not that's not like a, a bluegrass band yeah so the, you know the jug the traditional blues jug bands like Cannon Jug Stompers and bands like that from like the 30s, it's a very different approach to the instrument. You know, it's usually a, a melodic bass range, you know, boot, boot, boot right, kind of right, thing. Right, 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 right. What he's doing with the jug, nobody's ever done before or since. Uh, and I think it's it's completely unique. I think he, it grows out of him having no idea what he's doing. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like this kind of almost kind of concrete element. You know, it's like it's it's in the key of the songs that they're playing in, but it's not it doesn't really follow the songs. It's more like it creates this bed on which the songs exist. Yeah. And I remember yeah. like early on when I would listen, I didn't know what it was. And I thought it could have been like some kind of synth, like an early uh, synthesizer or something. I had no idea. Right. What it was. Yeah, yeah, it uh, absolutely. That's what it sounds like. It sounds like some kind of weird early synth, and it makes the whole thing kind of sound underwater. I mean, of course, that was what you know when I put it on as like a sonic adventurer myself. I, I was immediately like, "What the hell is that?" Yeah, yeah. What's going on? You know, on? and then <laughs> even when you read on the back, you know, because back then in '84, there it was hard to get much information on the band. So like, I had this one artifact, and I'm like, "Okay, they have a jug player." I don't even hear a jug, you know, but I hear this, and eventually, you know, I, I start to figure it out. And I read at one point that, like, depending, and this could be just urban legend, but that depending on what key they played in, he would reduce or increase the amount of marijuana that he kept hidden inside the jug. <laughs> <laughs> that does sound like a really great story that who knows even if it's not true it doesn't matter yeah right it just it's, yeah <laughs> wow all right so you got uh rocky erickson and tommy all who else is uh in the band so at this particular point in time we're look, talking about this record um when they finished the first record and went out on tour they had a different rhythm section they had a a guy by the name of john ike was the drummer and ronnie Ronnie Leatherman was the bass player. They leave the band partway through the making of this record, and they're replaced uh, by a guy by the name of Dan Galindo and... Uh, uh, Danny Thomas, right? Yes, Danny Thomas, that's right. Hey. <laughs> uh, and, and then, of course, it's Rocky and Tommy and then Stacy Sutherland is the other guitar player right right and uh, yeah they were uh, they were a band like a real band so um and uh but i guess this was it this, this album and then they kind of f fell apart after this right that that's correct yeah. that's correct they were a real band um as somebody who studies record production a lot um i'm very interested in these records that are and and the that are created by a band um, you know, and then also the expanded kind of, as Brian Eno calls the seniors, like all the people involved, um, and, and how, you know, they're leaning on each other and how they're creating together. And in this particular instance, you know, you have this relationship between Tommy Hall, who's, you know, this real psychedelic warrior, and then Rocky Erickson, who has this ma amazing voice. Yes, right. Yeah. And it's Tommy's writing most of the lyrics, 
Rocky's writing the the music, but this is one of the reasons why you see a big shift lyrically from this period of Rocky's career and his later career, where it's kind of more of that kind of horror rock focused thing. Right, right, yeah, uh, yeah. Demon, this is very lyrics, very spiritual. Like we said, psychedelic, sort of psychedelic, but psychedelic in a in a spiritual sense. Very spiritual because this guy, especially Tommy Hall, was all about finding some other level of uh, consciousness, right, and sort of leaving leaving yourself and and moving beyond that. He was his interesting character, uh, very intellectual, very very well read on LSD. Yeah. All the time. Like, I don't I don't understand someone like this, but he was only 24. So he had youth on his side. Right. But, you know, he he manages to take these spiritual concepts from Christianity and um, Taoism and Hinduism and uh, quantum physics and distill them into like rock and roll songs that. If I, when I just said that, that sounds like a recipe for disaster. Like, just, yeah, right. That just sounds <laughs> horrible. Sounds horrible. Like, I don't want to hear that record. <laughs> but but it's somehow not, but you, it but works. You do because all right, let's get in. Let's play the first song because the first song kind of encapsulates all that, right? Uh, it's all right there in the first song. Let's listen to a little bit of "Slip Inside This House." <laughs> Dissolving in the water that you tread, all surroundings are evolving in the stream that clears your head. So I have to ask you, you're a young, well, by the time you hear this, you're, you're not, you're a young man, but you're, so you're, how far deep into it? Like you, lo- you, you, you're into this. You're like, oh my God, this is amazing. Did you ever think, oh, I have to try like tripping, listening to this while tripping. I, I don't want to out you or anything, but did you, how no, deep in fine. this did you go? Yeah. So, um. When I heard this, I was 20. So that was the exact age that Rocky was when he recorded this record. Oh, wow. I just realized that. Um, and uh, I grew up in a very spiritual environment. I grew up in an Irish Catholic family. That, and my mother was, 
she went to church every day and prayed to the Blessed Mother. My parents got divorced when I was seven, and then we go on this spiritual journey. We start going to Buddhist temple, Gurdjieff Ospensky centers. I get my TM mantra by the time I'm eight. Oh, okay. So I okay. am immersed in spiritual culture at a, at a very young age. And so this record, it spoke to me on that level. You know, it yeah. acknowledged something, you know, something beyond this. Also, I had already tripped on LSD. In fact, oh, okay. I, I was done with that sort of thing. I probably haven't tripped on LSD since I first heard this record. Uh, that's but probably a good I knew, thing. yeah, but I knew, well, like as George Harrison says, you only need to do it once. Right, right. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I got it. Like they were, they were talking about like a, an expanded sort of reality that wasn't based on any particular religious teachings, but like kind of a hodgepodge of these spiritual concepts mixed in with this kind of Western science thing. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing. And in this particular song, it's seven minutes long. This is Tommy Hall's masterpiece. You know, this is his, yeah, his yeah. thesis on everything that he's learned, you know, in the two years leading up to this. It's trippy. <laughs> it, is, it is trippy. And now, all right, so now we get the second song. You were talking about the people, like, around them. And so this is someone that's uh, written by someone else, written by Powell St. John, who I guess was part of the Austin folk scene. But let's listen to it, and then you could tell me a little about who this guy was and why they would do a song of his on their, re on their record. Let's listen to you slide. Down south where they use the slide machine. Song and I guess this guy uh, Paul St. John. I guess he wrote a song on their first album too, right? He wrote at least three songs on their first album. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, one of my favorites on the first record, "Monkey Island," also "Kingdom of Heaven," and "You Don't Know." They're all Paul St. John songs. So they were tight. Um, Rocky asked him uh, for a song, uh, and then he presented this one. You know. I happen to know because I read what this song is about. I never really knew what it was about. I just know what it felt like. What, what is and, it about? Because I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> yeah, it's about he, he Pal St. John spent some time in Mexico, and he said that they have these machines at that time in Mexico that would come along. They were greater machines, and I guess probably on dirt roads, they would knock all the rocks out of the way so oh, you could okay. drive. So, uh, there's an actual slide machine. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> oh, okay. but you know, like it seemed. Well, a lot of people felt were 
assume that like, okay, this must be a drug reference. Like it's a needles reference or of something. Course. That's what I was thinking. Something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's not, but it's more literal. But the point I, to me, the reason this works is one, the jug is really loud. Yeah. Uh, it's got that whole Texas blues vibe going on. And then Rocky really shines on that. This is the kind, this is a great song for him. So, you know, this same song presented by Powell St. John himself on an acoustic guitar would be a completely different song. Right, right, right. You know, they 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 make it their own. And, and we'll see here in a little bit, we'll see they do somebody else's song on this yes. record. And they just own it. <laughs> yeah, they own it. it. Yeah, yeah, really cool. Um, all right, so this next one, I had, I had mentioned this before because a while, a couple years ago, someone did uh, the evil one. Uh, we did an episode on the evil one. And I had mentioned the first, I was actually exposed to Rocky Erickson and um, 13 Four Elevators off that tribute album where the pyramid meets the eye. Oh yeah, which is really great. But that's like literally yes. the first time I heard their uh, 13th Floor Elevator songs, and then I went back and you know heard the originals. And uh, and this is one of those songs that I really loved before I even heard them do it. And uh, and it's great. Uh, so let's listen to "She Lives in a Time of Her Own." mentioned the um the stones before like oh they could have been like an like an american stones and you hear that you hear that yeah in, in the back of everything they're just like a really great rock and band and yeah you could hear that uh yeah very stones yeah they're they're uh, they got a blues rock thing that's really beautiful i mean strip away the kind of psychedelic and it's it's awesome yeah. Her love whips hard like wind and stabs in eager pains. She wins your thoughts and drives your inner planes. She clears and shares a love that never drains. She lives in a time of her own. That's fucking amazing, man. Yeah. Those yeah, are just, I mean, the cadence, you know, the expansiveness of the meaning. That's a brilliant. And then again, there's just something about the production. Tommy Hall said that the lyrics, which were paramount, to this record the lyrics were the thought patterns and then the music is the emotion that you get from the thought patterns oh okay and, well there you go and, and it really it does it glues together right um yeah i mean i love these records a lot of my favorite records i mean i'm an audio engineer so i'm just really turned on by sound but i love these records where somebody comes up with some sort of concepts 
and they just really stick to them. And in this record, there are these elements, you know, primarily the jug, but a lot of other elements that just ride through the whole record. So you don't really, it's not a record I've I, uh, experienced as a series of singles, like I would a Beatles record. Right. This right, right. this is just like one thing, and you notice. We won't experience that on this show, but when people listen to this, there's n- hardly a beat between songs. There's oh, never right, a space right, yeah. between songs. It's like, bam, it's very punk in that way. Yep, yep, that's true. That's a good point. And now, this is something interesting, because this next one is a um, Stacey Sutherland song, and he sings it. And yeah. what, which is cool. That's like the band thing there, especially in the sixties, you'd have things where bands where, you know, there wouldn't, there'd be a singer, but other people would sing too, but you really, it really, um, it, it just really makes it stand out. What a great vocalist Rocky was <laughs> for this right. band, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's good. It it, it's good. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's just not Rocky, but let's listen to Stacy's song. Nobody to love. <laughs> Sutherland playing the lead there and it's great because just he's making it sound like a sitar just by the way he's playing it like with really Mm -hmm. without any effects or anything it's really great well it does it's it's a like it's like one of those Gibson maestro pedals oh okay fuzz box very early fuzz box (laughs) right uh through a small amp sounds like a fender and probably feel like a reverb tank or something like that so there's a there is i mean it's all like 60s you know oh this uh, song is so 60s and it does sound because he's singing it it sounds more like a regular like it could be by the uh, i don't know what 60s band does it sound like it could have been by jefferson airplane yeah something like that but but without grace slick it's very san francisco i i see this as the san francisco influence on them um you know, it's a it's a it's a nice piece, and the you know when they were mixing this, they understood that what was important was that guitar, and so the guitar is loud as hell, and the voice <laughs> is. is not as loud, you know, right. and and that's fine. It gets us right. to the next song, but it really does show what a you know what a, a voice that you know how big a part of Rocky's voice was to this band as a whole. You know, it really does. Absolutely, absolutely. Even though on this record, Rocky's big complaint was that he was he was feeling restrained. 
because Tommy would tell him, he would get out there with him. Tommy was a non-musician, but Tommy would get out there in the studio with him and make him sing each line in a particular way and really guide him. And Rocky felt like he was was, um, being dampened. Um, But... I think that when you listen to this record, as opposed to the earlier ones, the communication is so clear um, because of that extra work that went into it. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, all right, and now we get, you were talking about, it seemed like in the 60s, every band had to cover Dylan. They had to put a Dylan song on their record, right? It was. Mm-hmm. You must leave now, take what you need, you think will last. But whatever you wish to keep, you better grab it fast. He understands you orphan with his gun. And this is like, uh, this has always been one of my favorite Dylan songs. And he definitely brings, you know, Rocky, the way he sings it, brings it to a whole different place. Uh, Let's listen to his It's All Over Now, Baby Boo. So yeah, I mean, when I heard this record, um, embarrassingly enough, I didn't know that was a Dylan song until somebody older walked in the room and said, "Oh, this is a Dylan song." Oh, okay, okay. Well, uh, and then I went back 20. and listened to. <laughs> yeah, I was twenty, but you know, it was eighty-four, and you know, so. Um, but I do think that this song fits this whole record. You know, Easter everywhere. It's about reincarnation. It's about rebirth. Yes. It's about dying, yes. and it's about rebirth. And this lyric here, "Strike another match, go start anew." It's all over now, baby blue. That fits like a fucking glove. Yeah, and I also feel like Rocky sort of gives it uh, sort of a more like a heartbreaking quality. Absolutely that, right. That uh, yep. I, it took me a couple listens to get it. At first, I was like, "Oh, this is this is weird," you know, <laughs> because I knew you know I I knew all the different versions of it and everything. But yeah, it's just. Uh, yeah, he definitely puts his own spin on it, which he he can't help it. That's just him, you know. He's his personality is gonna is gonna bleed through whatever he sings on. He's one of the great song stylists. Yes, you know J- Joey Ramone, Frank Sinatra, Elvis, John Lydon. Yep, there you, you go. know these people who it's like it does they can't help but sound like themselves when they open their mouth. You right, know? right, exactly. Yeah. Hey everyone, Rob here. You know, bringing that record got me high to you every week is a labor of love for me. But it also takes a lot of work and money with web hosting fees, software subscriptions, and especially purchasing the music that we feature. 
Luckily, I'm able to continue producing this show every week thanks to our fabulous patrons. Now, I know what you're thinking. Rob, why don't you just start getting sponsors like other podcasts? Well, mainly because I don't think anyone really needs to hear more ads for CBD oil and men's grooming accessories and whatnot. So for now, I'm sticking with Patreon. If you'd like to help support the show, head over to patreon.com forward slash TRGMH or just go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search for That Record Got Me High podcast. For as little as $2 a month, you too can become a patron of the show. You'll get a personal thank you from yours truly. You'll get our bi-monthly newsletter. You'll get to participate in all of our awesome patron-curated episodes. And most importantly, you'll become part of the That Record Got Me High family and help keep the show running. So do me a solid. Please consider becoming a patron today. surprised that this next one the earthquake was kind of the i mean this album didn't do good for them right it, it, it wasn't like you said i guess they didn't have good distribution and i don't even know if that's it's, how uh, you know that look that's how you know it's a great record if right. a record comes out in 67 <laughs> and nobody buys it but two geeks are talking about it in 2022 there's only one reason. Exactly. exactly. It's a fucking amazing record. So yes, <laughs> right. But this <laughs> nobody <may> be, <laughs> nobody cared. <laughs> but uh, this may be uh, one of the better known songs on it, and uh, it's a great song. Uh, so it's kind of like, uh, well, we'll discuss it. Let's just do a little, and then we'll discuss earthquake. <laughs> this read it as just like a reg uh, just as a classic blues sex song song about sex right yeah i, I suppose um but not this deep into this record exactly um, yeah, well, it, it would be hard thing. to yeah that's the thing I, you know i was i'm reading the lyrics and i'm listening i'm going ah, it could if, if it was on a different record done by someone else it could just be you know oh they're, they're singing about sex but no obviously there's uh something spiritual going on here too or at least um yeah. a drug-induced spirituality i don't know yeah so i mean i got a lot to say about this so i'll try to make it brief no, go ahead, go ahead. first of all uh the last song we listened to, the Dylan song, that that intro. I don't know if you're familiar with the band Rain Parade, but oh, like yeah. I feel like I feel like their whole first album is based on on the elevator's approach to that song. <laughs> awesome. I think the guitar approach here. This is Spaceman Three, man.
you know, with all that tremolo yeah, going right, on, that right. distortion and stuff. I mean, like that, that's so far ahead of its time. And the the other thing I love about this song is it's super grounded. It's got that muddy, grounded Texas vibe. It's like it's it's high minded spiritual, but it's also right on the earth. And it's it's obviously a song that's somehow about love, but it's it's a it's tough. You know, you know, yeah. our world's never leaving in each other. We're believing loss will never catch us grieving. Love won't go away. We command it to stay. This is not like, you know, flower children, peace and love. Like oh, San no, Francisco right. scene. No, this not. is like fucking we're going to the cops are going to bust us at any moment. Right. Texas vibe. Exactly. Well, yeah, that's it. That's it. It's uh, it's by way of Texas. Yeah, it can't help but coming tougher. And uh, yeah, it's just all over. Yeah, it's just all over the record. And you know what? I I, I want to talk about the cover just real quick. You got so you got the original. Did it have? Because I, I I heard like the gold on it rubbed off it. Like yeah, that's yeah. I've got the original <laughs> cover. And I mean, it's you can tell right that it's it's rubbed off a lot. Right. <laughs> a great cover. Yeah, I love it, that. It, it is, and it's very, it's very striking, and and it, and I guess they, you know, they they pretty much had an, they, you know, they had in their mind what they wanted to do and how they wanted to present it, especially uh, Hall did. So uh, you know, yeah, good for them. I, I, I think that Hall, his concept was like, well, on the first record, we talked about the existence of you know psychedelic spirituality. This time, we're going to give you the experience, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean that, exactly. you know. So like, of course, the whole thing, the way it feels when you hold it the way it looks and then of course the way it sounds he's trying to create a, an experience it's experiential learning yep okay when you that's listen good. to this record you don't need to do lsd just listen to this record yeah that's right kids listen to, <laughs> <laughs> listen to uncle paul you don't need to um all right so this next one it's it, i i really like this song dust uh it starts <sighs> out just like a very pretty love song but then it it, it it definitely becomes more than that but it's just like a really beautiful song let's listen to dust dust from your skin must trust when it scatters only love matters it's been overjoyed scents and perfumes So pretty. Lyrics are just so beautiful, so poetic. Again, it's that uh, theme of permanence beyond death. 
you know we will our vibration will always be here yeah um, it's a the it's faith a, that, that we build will strengthen our close growing closer so waiting is filled we simply remember we are wherever we are Beautiful. And also, it, you were talking about, talk about ahead of their time. The beginning of it, it sounds like 30 years later, like uh, that whole lo-fi thing, Guided yeah. by Voices, Sebado, they all were. that. It sounds exactly like that. All, all the, I mean, I imagine that all those people were listening to this record to some extent. Yeah. Or maybe it's just happenstance, but... Right. Yeah. Okay, so, look, uh, I've got Levitation. This is interesting because this is the original drummer and bass player so they cut this this is the first thing that they cut when they got back from california oh uh, so when they got the they didn't even the, credit them on the record uh no they're not credited on the on the record but uh, uh and in reading mind eye it kind of gives the whole chronology and so if you listen to that first record it's kind of punkier tougher you know right. more driving this right. record's kind of got like a swingy jazzy kind of feel in the rhythm section but when you listen to this this is the original rhythm section this is um, a more punky thing going ah, on ah okay all right awesome let's listen to levitation Okay, that does make sense because this song does kick. <laughs> it yeah, really it's kicks, a, it's so. much more of a rocker. Right. Um, yeah, it's great. So when when I was first kind of turning from hardcore punk into like psychedelic music, uh, I was talking on the phone with a good friend of mine, uh, this guy Tim Yohannan, who who ran Maximum Rock and Roll magazine, which was like the hardcore punk Bible. Yeah. And he was a 60s kid, you know. And so I told him, man, I got this 13th Floor Elevators record. And he's like, oh, yeah, I got Levitation. And then he said, now be careful. Don't start doing drugs. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that was good advice. (laughs) Good advice from somebody who probably did a lot of them. Yeah. Oh, At some point. Right. At some point. at some point. Yeah, yeah. I love I love this song. And are you playing the mono versions? I you know what? That's what I got. So that's what I am playing, the mono yeah. versions. But do you think I, I actually got I think I bought I, I ripped the the clips from the mono, but I have both. What do you think is better to put because I'll put the if actual music you in? You know, there. I'm such a huge fan that I love both for different oh, okay. reasons. But for for this purpose, I would use the mono. Yeah. I mean the okay. mo- the mono's punchier. It's rock and especially on that song. I the stereos, there's more separation, so you can kind of, you know, hear what's some of the stuff that you can't hear on the mono, but 
I uh, like yes. it more dense, though. I like the dense. Yeah. <laughs> it needs to it's, be more it, dense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and, you know, one then, thing I, I keep wanting to ask you, and I don't want to forget, did you ever, in all your in your years of being in the studio recording, did you ever try and recreate the, the jug thing at all, ever? Did you ever think no. about it? <laughs> I've done it. I did. Uh, my band covered... Uh, sometimes does uh, like a 60s kind of rave up and we'll do a little bit of you're gonna miss me and I just do the jug sound with my mouth oh okay <laughs> that's fair that's fair enough I do a pretty good jug impersonation that's on my li- that's on my resume <laughs> nice all right so this next one I I had to tell you I saw the name uh, co-written Clementine Halls which was very you know interesting to me hmm who is Clementine Hall so let's listen to it and then uh, we could talk about her I had okay. to tell you chaos all around me with its fever clinging I can hear you singing in the corners of my brain. Every doubt around me, every sound of riot, everything is quiet, but the song that keeps me sane. I can hear your voice. part there what is that what is that lifted from oh that's interesting you asked me like what the progression is lifted from i'm yeah it was driving me crazy because i'm thinking it reminds me of something i feel like it's but i couldn't i couldn't get it i was hoping you (laughs) no i don't i don't know but it's definitely this whole record is so steep in like the folk blues traditions that it's inevitably several things before this and then several things after um in some ways it's this one really hits me as Exile on Main Street-ish. With the two acoustic guitars, um, right, right, and then and they're gloriously out of tune. Like yes, the, it's very the, yeah, it's very rough. And then you got Rocky's. Uh, we didn't mention his harmonica playing on the record, but he does. Yeah, and here that's right. Really, yeah, you got yeah. his harmonic in there. And all right, so do you know who Clement? Well, you obviously you you know who Clementine yeah is. <laughs> Clementine Hall was Tommy's wife. So Tommy, the main lyric writer and the jug right. player, his wife is Clementine. And this is actually the second song that I know of that they've done. Because on the first record, she also does a song with Rocky called Splash One. And, uh, you know, it was just one of those things where, you know, one day Rocky was playing a chord progression and she was like, I, I can write to that. And so sh- she was the one who wrote this song. She's kind of famous for being like the band mom. Right, right, um, right. Kind of trying to hold, help them hold it all together in, in complete chaos, which I think when she says this, chaos all around me, 
with its fevered clinging. This is autobiographical. Right, right. Like this is in some way about the tornado of insanity that, oh, can that you imagine? they're inside. <laughs> yes. Right. Beautiful. And she sounds very, uh, who is it? Buffy St. Marie-ish, almost, you know. Buffy, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not familiar. Who's, who's that? Oh, well, you'll have to check out Buffy St. Marie. She's got a very high tremolo-ish oh, okay. from the same period. All right, awesome. I will. Um, yeah, but it's nice. It, it's just nice. It almost, in a way, it sounds Dylan. It sounds more Dylan-ish than their Dylan cover. Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but it's great. And then, all right, and then we close uh, we close the album with one more trippy uh, invitation to t- take a spiritual journey, right, outside of yourself. That's right. There's another song that, like, you would, it would be really difficult to write a song with this subject matter without just sounding like a complete goofball. Right, 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 yeah. But no, they they're because the thing is when you could tell when when people are all in it and they and they just lean into it and they don't give a fuck, uh, then it's authentic. You know, you right. You can't. That's right. So this is uh, postures. Leave your body behind. This one goes on for a while, and it just becomes like some kind of psychedelic jam. Mm-hmm. But uh, but unlike the first one, it's in like normal people language. Yeah. Like I feel this is a much easier to understand what the heck is going on, you right, know, or what right. they're talking about than that first one. So th- this is it really bookends the record um, really really well and. Yeah, I like just I thought you said it perfectly. It's like when you're all in, it's believable, and I think that that's part of that. That's, there's also an innocence to Rocky's voice. It's like oh yeah, totally, um, always, you yeah, know, always, yeah, even uh, the, throughout his career. And it's so much easier to believe that um, that during this period is a little problematic because Tommy Hall he was not. It wasn't just that he was eating a lot of acid; he was feeding it to Rocky nonstop. Yeah, well, there's a lot of problematic stuff about yeah Rocky throughout the years that uh, yeah. it's, you know it's sad. Anyone when you know there's actual mental illness involved and then other things and then yeah it gets clouded. But mm-hmm. also we didn't mention Tommy Hall. What what happened with him? I 
mean, because he became a Scientologist, right? Uh, you know what? I don't know. All right. Here's well, I will tell you. He became a devout okay. follower of Scientology in the '70s. He is a lifelong Republican. Yeah. Uh, and he has told interviewers that he is no longer interested in music or thinks of himself as a musician, which I guess you said he never really was. Nah. And that, but then he said, and that I lost my jug a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that you know that that tracks, right? Um, <laughs> that all somehow, unfortunately, that all tracks. It um, does. Yeah, you know, this is the great thing about recorded music. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm not really interested in what Tommy Hall's doing right now. This record exists. Exactly. exactly. In, in space and time. We can listen to it at any time, and we can have our own experience with it. And 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 I feel the same way about, you know, Nevermind the Bullocks and John Lydon. You know, right, it's like right. I, exactly. I'm not a you know, I'm not a fan uh of his a lot of the things that he says and has said but you know that's still you, you could know, always put that thing on and it just like t- takes you there immediately right that's right yep, that's right i know yeah and this beyond is, time yeah and this is the same way this is great uh, i really i've been enjoying i've been just having it uh playing nonstop in my car and getting psychedelic while i'm driving and uh, <laughs> <laughs> i really did enjoy it well i it's been one of my missions in life to turn as many people onto this as possible oh so. yeah well i was gonna ask you that too when you, you discovered it, so did you? You probably did. You made it your point to uh, to, uh, to turn other people onto it. I'm sure yes, you did. Uh, all the time I'm trying to turn young musicians onto records, and this is always, you know, really high on the list based on what it is they're trying to do. But then anytime I hear somebody tell me that they're a Grateful Dead fan, I'm like, you've got to hear this record. Oh right, you know? right, right. You know, this is this is the 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 thing you know yeah. it's like it's ground got zero. <laughs> yeah it's ground zero <laughs> yeah all right so uh paul is the best place i saw you have mayhernaudio.com is that the place, best place for people to uh see yeah if, if somebody wants to see what i'm up to uh it's a pretty old website but they can contact me through that if they want to talk about records or whatever yeah 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 well your contact you'll be on your guest thing of uh, contact it will be on there Paul, thanks so much. I didn't, like I said, someone I didn't know from Adam, he just said, hey, I want to do it there. I said, yeah, come on, let's do it. And uh, great. You were, uh, you were really great. And I could tell you love this record. And I'm glad you didn't. I'm glad you weren't like tripping while you were doing the episode. That, that wouldn't... <laughs> I thought about it, but I couldn't find any. <laughs> it probably wouldn't. Have been. Like, it, it I'm not in that circle. <laughs> yeah. All right, Rob, thank you so much. This has been a, a great pleasure. Oh, thank you. And don't forget, everyone, uh, Instagram and Facebook, you can uh, find me at, at That Record Got Me High. Also, that Facebook group got me high. On Twitter, it's at TRGMH Podcast. You can email me at TRGMH33 at gmail.com. Don't forget, if you want to become a patron of the show, go to patreon.com forward slash TRGMH. Become a patron. Paul, once again, thanks a lot. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I'll see you next week. Rivers, waves, rivers, the planet slaves beneath our fall.